Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand. I am grateful you've joined us for another amazing episode of this podcast where I get to find great leaders, glean their insights, and hopefully inspire you through our conversation. And if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, tell others so we can continue to bring you great programming. And just a thank you to everybody. The downloads have been increasing. I sincerely appreciate it. But just know, I am here to help the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow navigate their challenges with confidence. And today, it is my honor to share the mic with my guest, Adrian Rodriguez. Adrian began his career in healthcare as a pharmacy technician and later was a certified pharmacy technician. And he has a vast number of educational credentials, including a Bachelor of Arts and Science in Biology and a concentration in Microbiology. And as he moved into higher levels of responsibility through the pharmaceutical industry, he eventually even transitioned into instruction and teaching others. Later getting an MBA in finance and strategic management, he moved into other roles, including working for the USDA and ultimately as a consumer safety officer specializing in food, drugs, dietary supplements, and others. And later he continued to move through his career and ultimately starting his own consulting business and helping to serve others in their areas of quality and food safety. And now Again, he continues his great work, but he has the honor of being in a company, Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company, as the head of quality and safety. And I love these words. I have finally found a company whose strong leadership and goals not only reflect my own passion and personal values for patient care and safety, but execute actions that mean it. Adrian, it is my pleasure to welcome you onto the show. Well, good morning, Deb, and thank you for the opportunity to be here to speak to you and your audience today. So, Adrian, thank you again. And to my audience, <laughs> I have had the good fortune of finding Adrian because I was in search of leaders with backgrounds in quality, food safety, operational excellence, operations manufacturing. I wanted to find these people on my terms and sincerely get to know them. And while I have so many insights that I have shared with my audience through the blog, the book, the podcast, et cetera, I said, there are insights out there that I have not yet gleaned. And so when Adrian and I spoke and I got to know him and what he does, I was like, oh, I can't do its service and bring his voice forward to you on my own post. I had to bring him onto the show. So here he is a practicing professional, sincerely cares about people. He's had an amazing journey. But without further ado, Adrian, I would love for you to introduce yourself more to my audience, anything personal, more about your career journey and the purposeful value-based work that you do. Well, I guess I should begin by saying first off that it all begins as a young kid growing up in the doctor's office. Growing up, I was sick a lot and with asthma and having different respiratory problems. 
my mother and my sister, we found ourselves constantly going to the doctors and, as you would know it, find ourselves in the pharmacy to try to take new medications, drugs, any kind of help that would alleviate the symptoms. And as I grew up, I noticed the respect that the pharmacists and the doctors had by not just the patients, but everybody around them. I noticed there was something unique about their positions. So as I moved towards high school, I started thinking, hmm, I'll be graduating soon. What do I want to do with my life? And those images of the pharmacist kept coming back. So the doctors, unfortunately, I can't do blood or any kind of other bodily fluids. So I said, I'd probably go the pharmacist route. That has the same thing. You work with drugs, medications, and ultimately you're helping people get better. And the one thing that stood out as I grew up was the pharmacist was always there to answer, to talk one-on-one -on -one with the patient, make sure that they were taking their medications on time, and try to make sure that they were getting better. And that's what I wanted to take with me when I moved forward in my life. And as you would know it, that's eventually what I end up doing my entire life is helping others. So just from that little small aspect of where I am today, it's all because of just the way that I grew up to lead me to where I'm at. You know, there's something so impactful for the story that you just shared, which I really love. And I <laughs> I love these insights that I get. But when you talk about those early experiences, and yes, maybe it was challenging for you and your family to have to be going to the doctor and seeing the pharmacy. But as a young, influential person, you're looking at the behaviors of the people that are taking care of you. And those make lasting impressions. And what you gleaned was that they really cared. They asked questions. They gave you the dedicated one-on-one -on -one time and sincerely caring about your well-being. Those early behaviors of how you act, you never know how you may leave an impression on somebody and guide your future <laughs> pursuits. I think that's so important for our listeners that you never know who's watching you because it could be your children. It could be somebody at work. It could be your community. You never know how your behavior is going to leave an impact on somebody else. I'm glad you mentioned that because one thing that I've noticed when I talk to my younger cousins is I'm always asking them, who's today's role model for you? And that's an important question. We always want to think that we have actors or we have sports figures or we have someone popular in political media, those are the people you should be looking up to. Whoever said we should look up to somebody, the people in our role models, the people we see every single day. And so every action that we do, that's what's important. And that's what I learned from some of my mistakes when I first entered management was my employees were looking at everything I was doing. And that made me rethink and reshape how my management style was. And in fact, the reason I went to go instruct wasn't just because it was a job that was there. I wanted to actually see if I had what it takes to instruct and teach others and they could learn from me to get out of their current situation and be better than what they were just because somebody could tell them they could do it. You know, what I love about that is, you know, you found a need in yourself. You said, I think I can do this. And I think so many professionals hold themselves back. We practice what we do you food safety quality professional having an impact on the supply chain of what people consume. And I think that's so important. But I think what we should do as leaders is, yes, we do what we do, but we need to take the time and understand what gets us super excited. And I will share with you, Adrian, that I too 
love teaching. I remember telling stories, speaking out loud, speaking to myself, regurgitating information to my mother when I would come home from school. There was that externalization that this introvert wanted to get things out there. And then when I realized I had a knack to exchange information and not just disseminate information, but to connect with people, process the information, and then come back and be able to ask probing questions, that connecting and creating deep understanding is just the greatest gift we can do is to give back to others. So I appreciate that you found that pursuit in instructing others. I would ask my listeners to also think about if you like to train, if you like to teach, if you got jazzed about that presentation that you did, listen to yourself. There's something there. That could be the way you go sideways and build that capability. And maybe that's the path to go up if you try to go direct and it doesn't work. So amazing. Now, one of the things that you talked about when we talked before was that trusting your gut and making hard decisions. I think we as quality and food safety professionals all along are constantly challenged to make the right decision and the best decision that we can. And I think you have some thoughts around trusting your gut, how to make the hard decision, be able to live with it and help others to people to understand. I'm just curious if you have a story around that, because I know we talked a bit about that. Actually, I do have a story and it comes to mind back when I was 20, 21, working in retail, first job in true management. I had just left the pharmacy to work the retail management side. And I was in charge of working with much more mature individuals than myself, because again, I'm just 20 years old, just getting out of college. What do I know? Well, I have no experiences and yet I have the full authority in the facility having to make some tough calls. Well, when I was in retail, I won't name where exactly, things came up. Customers came up with issues. You had to actually fix their issues that they have, whether it's return their money or make exchanges. And so my employees, they would come up to me and say, hey, I have an irate customer. How do we handle this? I wouldn't know. I mean, there is so many decisions that you can make that could be good or bad. And so what I did was I just made the choice that I thought the customer wanted to hear. Lo and behold, it's not what the company actually wanted. And it's actually was against the rules to do. So I got reprimanded for not following company procedures. And I was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Something's not right here. That's counterintuitive. We're trying to help the customer and the customer is always right. So I did what was right for the customer, but the company didn't appreciate it. Okay. Let's try this again. So this time I did what the company asked for another situation, same, similar situation. And all of a sudden the company got mad at me again. And they're like, wait a minute, you followed procedure, but this customer complained to the higher up and ups. Now it's going to cost us a lot more because you didn't make the right decision. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Now I'm following the procedures. I did exactly what you want me to do, but because the customer is now going above to the higher ups and management to corporate office, making a complaint against the store. Now I am the one that's taking the blame and you want to push me to another store because you don't agree with the way I made the decisions. Okay. So now I'm totally confused. So I'm confused. At this point, <laughs> what do I do? How do I make decisions? And my employees are looking at me they're like, you keep changing your mind. So why should we even trust you? So now I've lost the trust of my employees. So with that, I ended up switching to a new job, new, same retail space, different competitor, 
And I started making decisions that were based not just for the customer, but what I felt I needed to do. Right or wrong, I was reprimanded by the company, but the employees actually, they had my respect. The employees would come up to me and say, you know, you did the right thing. I would have done the same thing in your situation. Now, a lot of people say, well, they're not the company. They're not where your money is coming from. They're not paying your paycheck. Yes, that's true. But your employees and your colleagues, they're the ones you work with every single day. They're the ones that make your business. And we tend to forget that we have to make sure everyone is on board in order for all of us to succeed. So we have to keep in mind from a top level perspective that if you're not treating all your employees from the ground up the way you want to be treated, then we're never going to make any kind of profit. And so I had people that would come in when you know someone was sick, I could call someone on their day off and they'd be like, for you, I'll go in. And I'm like, why come in for me and not the other managers? Well, because I know you're going to be treating me right if I show up and you're not going to be using me if I get there. Those kind of impressions are what stayed with me working in retail. And as I moved up in management, how to really speak to my employees and the kind of team that I was trying to create as I moved up. So that's noble work. This <laughs> I'm going in a different direction here. I mean, I have so many questions for you. So that we should, because again, they're the ones that are so close to your end consumer and are responsible for the profitability and the bottom line. So we do need to take care of them. In that situation, you had the respect of the people, they had your back, they did what was needed, you saved the day, you got the work done. Was it in conflict, though, with what leadership wanted? And how did you navigate that? Because we're in the middle. There's so many people in my audiences that they're trying to do the right thing for their people. And at the same time, there's conflict with upper management. In this situation, did you have to like manage up as well? Yes. And that was the difficult part because now I realized that I had created a small inner conflict between myself <laughs> and the upper management uh. and, of course, corporate. So at that point in my career, I didn't know how to handle that. And so I actually did the wrong thing. Again, I've learned from my mistakes. I've made many. And I actually fought against my boss. I guess you call it quote unquote boss at the time. And I decided to go around him to his boss. And didn't realize that, of course, which I learned now, it always goes down. <laughs> if you know what I mean, we will take care of our own. So they backed him up, even though she said, I know your boss is completely wrong in the situation, but unfortunately, he is the store manager. We are going to have to handle it and go with what he says. So you either do what he says or we're going to have to move you to another location. Okay, so hmm, what do you do? you start looking for a different career path. And that's what I did, unfortunately. So I said, okay, my time in retail obviously is done. I need to regather my thoughts and figure out, okay, what do I need to do or where can I go that I can actually do as I feel is necessary that's right without somebody coming back and saying no because it doesn't meet the bottom line. Now, that's hard. Yes. That's very hard because, again, you're in private industry, you're in retail. And then I go to education to go teach. And I know I can do that. So you're in education. Well, let's make the next jump. What's it like to work in government? Government is set on rules that are there, they're procedural, and you just follow the rules. Uh, not so much. <laughs> I learned a lot there as well. So I realized how to manage the up portion from being in the government. The government is very procedural. 
you have your chain of command. And so there has to be a way that you need to be able to work with that within that chain of command to go upstream and not just keep it down. And by that, it was interesting. I had a really good boss and his boss, not so much. We did not get along and there was a lot of conflict there. So I had to let the work show for itself. I had to focus on just what I was doing. And I decided, okay, this is a point where I can learn how to manage the upstream by just showing that I can do the work that they expect me to do, no matter how bad it is. And so that's what I did. I focused on my work and I made it better. And every situation they thought I was going to fail, I actually improved it and showed others, hey, this work is actually important and we're going to make it shine. And now we have district directors, regional directors that are looking at the work I'm doing. And everybody's like, wow, we didn't expect anybody to get that accomplished. So, wow, I'm glad that you did. I'm glad you were there. Now I became someone as a go-to, which really upset some people on the upstream. You've been a disruptor all along, did you? Didn't you? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 you know, that's cool. And I actually had an experience with a client where I actually had to stay within the lines just do what was expected, which was not my way. My way was to always ask why, why, so I could understand, teach others, and how could I improve upon that? It's tough to stay in the lines, but you still found a way to be visible <laughs> and other people to respect you. Yep. I was going to say, it's all about communication and having everything in writing. And that's the one thing that the government did teach me, everything in writing. And as you can see in the media today, there's a lot of stuff in writing that pops up that will get kept, that will be publicized, that should be confidential, that will be open to the public. So with the government, that's the way I was able to learn to manage the upstream was have everything in writing and make sure that if it's written, it's there. Someone will have access to it. Someone will see what's actually going on. So that that helped. So this is more, this question's about you, about Owning your leadership, you obviously, as I listen to you, always had your own opinions, your own values, your own way of doing things, willing or not knowing <laughs> that you were taking risks. But at the end of the day, I think you could sleep at night knowing you made the best decisions at the time. And you talk a lot about people respecting you for making those decisions and sticking up for the underdog or what was right. But I want to ask you, because obviously you've ascended to a role, you're vice president of quality food safety, working for an amazing company. Did you always see yourself as a leader or what was the point in your career where you said, okay, I've arrived. I now feel like I've either earned or I am performing as a leader because my audience, sometimes when I see them, they're already acting as a leader, but they can't see it themselves. And there's something about then owning it. What was that pivotal time when you said, okay, I am leader. I feel it. I'm acting it. I am confident now in what I'm doing. The moment that I can actually sense that there was something more to what I wanted to do in the leadership role was actually not with my career, but with all my volunteer activities. So within, you know, I'll just throw it out there. You know, I'm Catholic. So within our Catholic faith, we have a lot of different organizations within the church that you can participate, belong to. And one of those was the Sarah Club. And I immediately took an officer position because it was available, they needed the help. And as I took that small role as a social director, activities director, pretty much 
the leadership of the group were asking me for bigger questions outside of that role. And I realized, wait a minute, why do they keep coming to me? Why is it that my opinion matters in this situation? So I decided to take on a stronger role. While at the same time at work, and this was the transition at that time when I was teaching and thought I was going to go back for my MBA because I wanted something better, didn't know exactly where. Well, when I became the president for that group, then other organizations in the Dallas diocese started also coming about and asking for my help. And I realized that I can go and help these people. Again, all about going back to helping others. And as long as I would show up, I was reliable, I was on time, and I made decisions that benefit the group and everybody that we were helping, the more that I was asked to help. <laughs> and I was like, well, some people would say, well, yeah, they're using you because you're the only one dumb enough to go and do it. Well, you know, that's one way of looking at it. But at the same time, every decision and every situation that comes up requires an answer. And so I had to learn how to make the tough decisions in that respect. And I was able to translate it into teaching my students, this is how you make a good decision versus a bad decision, or to go with your gut instinct and stick to your values when maybe nobody else agrees with you. And at the same time, how to learn from your mistakes. You have to own your mistakes. That's the big thing. And in organizations where it's all voluntary, you can't get fired, you know, but there's a lot of people that will become your enemy because they're either jealous or they want that position of power or they think that you're not good enough. And I say, well, again, it's voluntary. Come in and take my place. Come and do better. And that mentality translated into the option to go towards the strategic management in my MBA because now I want to know what it's like to be an entrepreneur. I want to see what it takes to be a leader in a business. I work for, say, people that I didn't agree with <laughs> in leadership. Well, let me go take leadership courses and see what they're being taught, because maybe they're being taught a certain way of thinking. And as I went through my MBA program, and I focus on the finance, which is the money side, because that's obviously the business portion, and the strategic leadership, the opportunity, and how to learn how to run a business, there are certain things that are taught in school that I actually didn't agree with. And that was what I was fighting. And I'm like, oh, this is an educational institution. This is being taught wrong. And I realized, wait a minute, something doesn't make sense. And I approached a couple of instructors about it. And they looked at me, do you want to pass this class? Just go sit down. And no, that's not what we're trying to teach here. And I said, okay, now I understand. <laughs> Maybe I just have a different way of thinking. Maybe I'm thinking wrong. I don't know. But at that moment, it was in transition in, I guess, between 2007, 2009, when I realized I can make a difference if I just take a chance and I continue to go with my gut instinct. However, there was one thing that was still holding me back. It was not really family. It was more of culture where it was like, you can only do so much because of where you grew up and where you were. And I was trying to fight that mentality, but I didn't know how, because there were certain things that when I grew up, I didn't have experiences that I see some of my colleagues have. And I was trying to figure out how to bridge that gap, if that makes sense. And so again, 
aside the volunteer activities, aside the work, my personal development was, okay, I've reached a plateau. How do I jump off this plateau and reach the next segment of my career? Because I see my colleagues and I see my students and there's a huge gap. And my students were, you know, trying to build their lives. They already had children, they had families, and they're just trying to make the next highest dollar amount they could per hour. While my colleagues in my MBA program were making 25, $50 million deals with CEOs and vice presidents of companies. I was like, wow, hourly versus salaried and high salaried. Leadership, high-end versus just your regular everyday employee trying to make a living. Why is there such a gap? What is making the difference? And? <laughs> the difference was the motivation, internal motivation and support. You have to be able to tell yourself, you know what? I am not happy where I'm at. I want to be here and I'm going to take the risk to try to get there. And I have to just do it. Just do it. In fact, I didn't even tell my parents that I had applied for the MBA program until I was actually in there. And they didn't even realize that I'd been taking three summer courses at a community college just so I can have the courses I needed to get into that MBA program. Because I had failed in getting to pharmacy school in the past, that still lingered with me. It was like, if I couldn't get into pharmacy school, why am I going to get into an MBA program? And I had been out of school. Oh man, this was already going, what, six years? So I was already out of school for six years. And then I was wanting to go back to get a master's. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And I, I did it. I worked all summer. I went to school all summer at the same time. And it all comes down to people giving you chances. I have to thank, you know, Ms. Vicki Cartwright. I remember her name because she came up to me when we had our talk as an advisor and said, if you want to be in this program, you show me you want to be here. You have your background. You have a good resume. Your grades weren't so good in, you know, back in your undergrad. However, you look like you really want this. So you take these three courses. I don't care where you take them. As long as it's a credible, you know, college here in Dallas area. And if you get me a B minimum, then you will be in this program in the fall. But know that this program is not easy. And I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And where a lot of my colleagues had scholarships or their businesses paying for them, this is all going to be loans. I just said, you know, it's gonna, I know I'm going to pay for it, but I'm going to do it. And that's what I did. And it, two struggling years, but I got the MBA. You know, it was that decision. And my family was supportive. My, my immediate family, my parents, my sister, when they found out I was in school, they were like, you know what? This is what you want to do. You need to do it. So I lived with my sister. You know, we're helping each other out just so we can make ends meet while I was getting my education. Now, after that, well, that's a whole different story. But <laughs> either way, does that make sense? I mean, it's all about you have to take the chance and just say you want to do it and stick with it. And my faith, obviously, was the cornerstone just saying, Lord, help me. I don't know. I think I can do this. And but if you want me to continue, I will continue. I believe that you're going to help me and just keep going. And that's what kept pushing me forward. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day. 
And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com and click on my products, the CEO's Compass and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now back to the conversation. Adrian, we could end the show just on that story because it is exactly what I want from people like you is to share their insights because it does inspire. And I will tell you on a personal note, it has inspired me and validated the work that I am doing. But just a quick note, just to draw on my listeners. One of the things that I love is the fact that when you just started coming into your own in the volunteer world and people were coming to you, those are signs from the universe that you were meant to be a leader. People saw you as a leader. And so my listeners here, if you don't think you're ready for leadership or struggling, look at the people that respect what you do and come to you for your opinion. And then with that input, (laughs) you have to find it in yourself. And you ask so many questions, going to a place of reflection and asking yourself, what's the difference? What's holding me back? What's the difference between where I'm at and where I want to be? Asking yourself all those questions and realizing there's nothing holding me back and taking risks on yourself. Because if you can't take a risk on yourself, who else is going to? I will just say that I too, with building my company, Illumination Partners and the Drop-In CEO brand, I have been all in. I have been all in. I've got this purpose to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow navigate with less struggles and be confident in doing the process. I so believe in it. I remember many years ago in a presentation, it wasn't the standard presentation. I said, but my why and my purpose is I don't want people to struggle as much spend more time with their family, their friends, and their community, because that's what resonates with people. We just want to enjoy the time that we have. And so I took the risk. I'm still taking the risk, but I believe so much in this podcast, bringing people like you on to inspire others is going to leave our legacy one person at a time. Adrian, your story is so inspiring. I want people to just look at your background and what you're doing. This is not the last of what we've heard about, Adrian, because not only are you a great leader in quality and food safety, serving amazing companies, but you're just a person worth following. I'd love for you to share a few last closing thoughts for our listeners or insights and how people can maybe connect with you if they want to learn more. I guess taking from our conversation today, going back to what I said at the beginning, who's your, your role model today? Who do you look up to today? And who did you look up to yesterday? Because you can't forget those that you looked up to in the past to get you to where you're at. And I'll share one more thing. Just this week alone, I went on LinkedIn and I found a professor of mine back at my undergrad. And I sent her a message, whether she gets it or not, whether she reads it. I wanted her to know that she was a big influencer at that time when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do You know, when I didn't get into pharmacy school. And she was very supportive throughout the entire process during my undergrad. And so I just thanked her. You know, you have to remember to say thank you sometimes because where you're at today was with the help of somebody else. 
And whether that's in your faith or with your family or outside your family, you know, you, you should reflect on that and then see who you are going to be able to help and who's looking at you right now and what you're doing. Well said. I am grateful, Adrian, to have met you, found you, and brought your voice and insight to my audience. I just want to say thank you for being a great guest, and I do wish you amazing success, Adrian. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be speaking with you today. And again, let's talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this episode valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who would find it useful and inspiring. Your support allows me to keep sharing insights and inspiration to leaders who are working their way to the C-suite. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.